Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 16th to 22nd of August, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville. Before getting started, a special shout out to our good friends at SpaceWatch.Global and GoTikonauts, two excellent sources of space industry news. This week, we will bring you updates on Spacity and a collaboration with a new European client. We will bring you updates on the second spacewalk from the Chinese space station. But first, we will unpack an interesting update on the、uh, on the human resources in the Chinese commercial launch sector. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. 是不是上飞机空中飞行时间两小时十五分钟？我们预计在当地时间下午六点二十五分左右到达。So let's、um, discuss a little bit the growth of Chinese commercial launch companies, but this time from the Uh, their growth has been measured with metrics such as the amount of funding that they have raised, or the completion of various milestones in the development of their rockets, such as you know engine hot fire test runs, aerodynamic control surfaces, payload fairing tests, hot tests, etc., etc. But this week, let's do it by looking at the workforce. Now, let's first give some background on how we can get such、uh, data. For some context. Chinese firms need to submit every year an annual business report to the local industry and commerce authorities, and this is、uh, something that's called the Gongshangnianbao or the Qiyenianbao. And this report has to be submitted、uh, before June the thirtieth every year, and includes some very interesting information, such as、um, the company's legal status, I, I believe equity, and also more relevant to this episode, it contains information. Regarding the workforce of the company, and some netizens on the Chinese internet took this data for all Chinese commercial launch companies in 2019 and 2020. They put it into this fantastic table that was made available on the internet, and the owner of、uh, the Twitter account Ace of Razgriz translated that into English. So special thanks to、uh, him for that. And there are some really great takeaways from this table on the workforces. I think the first one that comes to mind is this massive growth of what was generally already considered top tier Chinese. Rocket companies, and I'm thinking of iSpace, Landspace, and Galactic Energy. All of these companies have, on average, more than doubled in size、uh, in terms of their workforce. We have an average growth rate of plus 225%, and this is. Not really surprising, considering that these companies are really quite advanced in their development. They're all planning to perform hops or planning to do their inaugural launch either、uh, this year or next year for their、uh, liquid-fueled reusable rockets, and they're also working simultaneously on multiple rocket programs. Um, so a lot of stuff is going on, and considering that they've been raising quite a bit of money over the last year, it's unsurprising that they've invested part of this money in investing in the workforce that would enable them to,、um, you know, sustain all of these developments. So that's the first point. The second point is this unexpected comeback of a company called OneSpace, which is a first-generation company, launch company, meaning that it was、uh, founded in the early stages of Chinese commercial space in 2015. But this company was said to be in dire straits after the failure of their. OSM orbital launch in 2019, and there were rumors of the disbanding of a lot of the key、uh, people that were working at the company. But we know that after this failure, the company has since 
gone much more low profile. They've restructured their business. They diversified into providing um, launch subsystems, such as telemetry, uh, flight control modules, as well as engines. And they've also provided various services, such as simulation and testing. And they, they also uh, plan as well to develop their own family of rockets that they have been named Linglong. And this restructuring seems to have paid off, I believe. And they've raised a new amount of funding from investors in September 2020 last year, bringing a welcome inflow of cash. And they've also performed some successful suborbital launches since. Um, and when we look at this table of the workforce, this really seems to confirm the trends that we've just mentioned. We've seen actually a surprisingly healthy growth in the workforce in 2020 compared to 2019 with a threefold growth. Third takeaway here also from this table is the promising growth of what is generally referred to as second and third generation launch companies. So launch companies that were founded after 2016. And I'm thinking of companies like uh, Caspace, Deep Blue Aerospace and Space Pioneer that we also sometimes call Tianbing Aerospace. And these launch companies, although they were founded at a later stage, they are moving extremely fast and they're Inaugural launches planned by the end of this year for two of the three that I mentioned previously, Caspace and Space Pioneer. And the third one, Deep Blue Aerospace, is performing hops at this very moment with their Nebula M rocket um, prototype. And so, yeah, the jump in workforce for these companies is not really unsurprising. We have, on average, plus 182% for these three companies. And last point and last category of companies, really, is uh, rocket engine manufacturers, which are still going strong. So um, rocket engine companies are um, S-Motor, AA Engine, Aerospace Propulsion, and Jojo Engine. These four companies seem to all have experienced a significant increase in their workforce. I think only XAPT, which stands for Xi'an Aerospace Propulsion Technology Company, they're the only ones that have um, stayed stable in this category at 28 employees registered with insurance, which is the metric to to, to count the workforce. Um, so overall, it seems that this table confirms a lot of the trends that we've been discussing um, over the past weeks, months, just the past year. And this is great to see that a different set of data confirms the trends that were suggested by you know the press releases of these rocket companies or the amounts of funding that they had been raising. Um, one question that could be asked to us is really, is there anything unexpected or surprising from this table. I think one thing that surprised me was uh, a name that I hadn't encountered before, Space Tie, apparently a, a launch company that was founded in March of 2021. Never heard of them. I think another big point of interest is LinkSpace. LinkSpace on this table is the earliest commercial launch company to have been founded of the lot. And it's uh, striking to see it still stuck at four insured employees in 2020. And um, this company was known to have made really a lot of breakthroughs in vertical takeoff, vertical landing technology early on. They notably made the RLVT series of rocket prototypes. And this culminated in this test in August 2019, where they did uh, several hundred meter level uh, hops with the RLVT-5. And shortly after that, they had signed an agreement with Jojo and Jin to purchase some engines to build the RLVT-6, which would have been a prototype that would perform um, hops of several kilometers of altitude. But this did not happen, and this company has since gone extremely stealthy, and this is likely due to the lack of money because their latest round of funding, I believe, dates back to 2017. And there are also rumors that you know the, the founder and the ex-CEO, Hu Junyu, was a bit too junior, too young to be leading the company. I think he was in his mid-20s when he founded LinkSpace. And even though this guy was replaced as CEO in 2019 by a more experienced guy called Chu Longfei, who was the CTO, he's an ex Cald guy, but this seems 
you know, not to have really changed the trajectory of this company. It's still extremely stealthy. And stealthy is not necessarily bad in the Chinese space industry. There are some stealthy uh, Chinese launch companies that are seemingly doing quite okay. They just don't communicate that much. But in the case of Link Space, it seems that this is uh, nobly due to the company encountering problems. So um, just another set of data that does seem to highlight that Link Space is not doing too well. Indeed, and definitely a great effort from the ace of, uh, of Razgriz. So thanks a lot for pulling that together. Very helpful. Um, and yeah, Space Tie. I did not see that one coming. I had never, never heard of them before. Um, so just a couple of additional small takeaways from my side before going into the next piece of news. Um, interesting to see one of the relatively, uh, again, stealthier launch companies, uh, Jilin Enter Space, uh, which is one that we don't hear too much about. And so for a little bit of context, Jilin Enter Space was founded in 2018. And my first time coming across this company would have been November 2019 at the China High Tech Fair in Shenzhen, where the company was featured at the Jilin Provincial Booth alongside the fellow Jilin-based space company, CGSDL, Charming Globe Satellite Technology Limited, one of the leading, if not the leading, uh, Earth observation satellite manufacturers and operators in uh, in China. Uh, and so going back to Jilin Enter Space, the company's growth from 2019 to 2020 was pretty impressive. They nearly 10x'd in terms of the number of employees, going from six to about 50. And so uh, given their appearance at the Jilin Provincial Government booth at the China High Tech Fair in 2019 and potentially 2020, I was not able to attend due to the borders being closed. Um, and also given the willingness of the Jilin Provincial Government to support space companies more generally, we can probably assume that they have received some support from the Jilin provincial government. And moving forward, I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether a local Jilin space industry cluster can develop around Jilin Enterspace and uh, CGSTL. And I guess just the last point on Jilin, it is, of course, in China's uh, sort of the Dongbei region, so which is kind of China's rust belt. Um, there's a lot of deindustrialization. And so the governments there do have a certain level of incentive to try to attract sort of new emerging high-tech industries. So again, Jilin Enterspace, uh, still relatively small player, but definitely one to keep an eye on moving forward. The second point that I would bring up is the, the concentration of launch companies and the impact that this may have on things like human resources. And so as we posted on Twitter earlier this week, uh, China's biggest launch cluster by a very wide margin is in the Yizhuang area of Beijing, which is an area colloquially known as uh, Rocket Street or Huojianjie. And as we can see on the map that we post just here, there's around 11 launch companies with their headquarters in the southern part of Beijing, with the centerpiece by a very wide margin and, and sort of the largest company being, of course, the China Academy of Launch Vehicle Technology, or CALT, which is a very large cask subsidiary with some couple tens of thousands of employees. And if we look at this, this launch cluster and we think back to the early days of Chinese commercial launch, which is to say 2014, 2015, um, really at that time, the only major source for specifically space industry human resources would have been the big SOEs. So companies like Kelt. And so if you were a launch company in 2014 and 2015 and you wanted to find rocket scientists, uh, Kelt was certainly the place to go. And so that being the case, we see a lot of launch companies clustered around there. And so over the years, as we've seen a larger number of people employed by commercial companies, um, this has created kind of a broadening out of the labor pool. There's a little bit less recruiting just directly from Calt and a bit more jockeying of launch companies competing for each other's talent. Um, but again, this legacy of clustering around the SOEs still very much remains and uh, quite an interesting exercise that was pinpointing 
all of those launch companies. So big thanks to our, uh, our, our excellent intern, Aurélie Gillet, for having done that. Um, and so again, be on the lookout in the coming weeks for a deeper dive into the Beijing space sector, where we will discuss this launch cluster, among other things. Uh, but for the meantime, we're going to move on to a couple of announcements from commercial satellite manufacturer Spacity. And so looking at Spacity this week, uh, so they announced earlier this week via their subsidiary Spacity Luxembourg, a collaboration with Italian satellite component manufacturer Technology for Propulsion and Innovation, or T4I. And so just to review, Spacity manufactures a number of satellites and offers, among other things, what they call a satellite-as-a-service business model, um, which allows for, I quote, in-orbit demonstration and verification, also known as IODIOV, and satellite hosting with low-cost, mature, and reliable 6U and 12U satellite platforms and frequent flight opportunities, end quote. And so essentially, it seems, you know, there's a lot of new commercial space companies, whether they're Chinese or from other parts of the world. And these companies are building many different types of widgets. And a lot of these widgets need to be verified in space. And access to space oftentimes remains not so straightforward. And so Spacity is basically offering this service of offering space on a satellite bus to test your product. And so the most noteworthy example prior to this deal with T4i um, in an international context would have been the previous collaboration announced between Spacity and the French electric thruster company ThrustMe. And again, that would have been ThrustMe putting one of their electric ion thrusters onto a Spacity satellite. And it may have actually been two, um, uh, two different satellites. And, and again, testing out that, that thruster. So going back to the current update. Um, so T4i is an Italian company that develops, among other things, propulsion systems for small sats that uh, they say will, quote, make your satellite dance in space, which I really I quite like that way of uh, putting it. It's a funny mental image, the satellite dancing in space. And so their products include monopropellant hydrogen peroxide thrusters, bipropellant HTP kerosene thrusters, and also hybrid thrusters, offering up to 10 10 kilonewtons of thrust. Uh, So based in Padua, in northern Italy, uh, the company's customers include, among others, Tyvek Systems. So an interesting company for Spacity Luxembourg to be partnering with. And the collaboration with Spacity Luxembourg appears to be fairly similar to the collaboration with ThrustMe in that the companies will seemingly install one or more T4i thrusters on one or more Spacity satellites for in-orbit testing and verification. And according to Spacity Luxembourg CEO James Jung Wamping, uh, the company's frequent launch cadence provides them with an edge here, as Spacity is known to launch satellites every couple of months or so. So again, if you're a commercial space company and you want fast access to space, um, this is, a, I think, a compelling value proposition in, in that context. Um, And so the deal specifically has two main components. Uh, So first, T4i is able to test their thruster on a different platform in orbit, which will allow them to have a better understanding of performance as it relates to these thrusters on different platforms. The second part is that Spacity will be able to test what could be a thruster supplier for the company's planned SAR-EO constellation, which is going to require a lot of thrusters. And so interestingly, uh, this is a little bit speculation, but even though T4i is the one sending a product to Spacity, it appears that T4i is the customer and Spacity is the supplier. So that being, you know, Spacity is providing what is presumably a rather competitively priced and near-term access to space service for T4i. And so moving forward, um, definitely going to be a business model to watch, not just from Spacity, but I think from Chinese commercial uh, space companies more generally. So I think as more Chinese commercial launch companies mature, the country's launch cadence is only going to increase from the already pretty impressive like 40-ish launches this year, and probably launch prices will become even more competitive as a lot of these commercial launch companies are going to be fighting for market share. And so again, this is going to make it presumably relatively easier for Chinese satellite manufacturers 
to procure rapid and relatively low cost access to space. And getting back to my original point, um, given the explosion of commercial space companies in recent years, and also given the number of widgets that are going to need on orbit testing, um, we probably should expect to see more such deals like this. And again, just uh, given the relatively few launches coming from Europe today, I think in particular, a lot of European companies uh, may find it advantageous to launch on Chinese satellite platforms. Although that being said, there are several promising European commercial launch vehicle startups that are also reaching advanced stages. So this may be a relatively short term window of opportunity for the Chinese companies. And so ultimately, I think it's an interesting example of collaboration between a Chinese space company and a European one. And it is likely, again, not the last time that we hear from Spacity Luxembourg with a deal like this. Uh, so, Sean, anything from your side on Spacity? Before moving on to the spacewalk piece of news, I just want to mention that Space T was also uh, in the news this week for another reason. They announced the completion of um, in-orbit verification tests of the Beihang Sat-1 satellite launched in November 2020, and that was on a long March 6. And this this 12U CubeSat had an ADS-B payload that was designed in collaboration with the Sichuan Jiuzhou Traffic Control Technology Company. And this was an experiment that was led by uh, the National ATC New Navigation System Technology key laboratory, really, really a mouthful. Um, and some background on this ADS-B, for those who don't know, it means uh, automatic dependent surveillance broadcast. And this is an essential technology for aviation. It enables traffic control to know uh, where the aircraft is at all times, as well as some basic uh, navigation parameters. And so the way it works is aircraft basically continuously broadcast ADS-B signals containing the information I just mentioned previously. And this information is then collected by ground stations and potentially rerouted to these air traffic control centers. But there was the issue of, you know, blackout zones over the ocean or over remote areas where there was no ground station. And this is where space-based ADS-B comes in, where satellites replace these ground stations in collecting this information. So this was a first ADS-B experiment that was done by Space-T. We know that there are also some American and European companies that are working on this. It's very promising stuff. And typically, this is the sort of a tool that could... Um, avoid any, you know, Malaysian Airlines MH370 uh, aircraft just disappearing out of nowhere over the ocean. So um, that's pretty, pretty cool technology. And moving to our last piece of news this week, we have the second spacewalk, also known as EVA, extravehicular activity of the Shenzhou 12 crew. So in the early morning of Friday, August 20th, we had China's Shenzhou 12, a crew composed of Nia Haisheng, Tang Hongbo, and uh, Liu Boming, performed their second EVA, which lasted this time a little bit over six hours. And as opposed to the first EVA, where it was uh, Tang Hongbo and Liu Boming, which put on the spacesuits and went into the vacuum of space. This time it was Nia Haisheng and Liu Boming who went out and uh, this time Tang Hongbo remained inside the Tianhe One core module command center assisting his colleagues um, from inside. And similar to the previous EVA, the robotic arm served uh, as a workstation once again also to move Taikon, one of the Taikonauts around. It was uh, Nia Haisheng that took that role this time. He was the one dressed in red. And the other Taikonauts, Liu Boming, moved around the space station using the ramps that are scattered basically all over the outside of the space station. Um, and for this second EVA, there were two main objectives. The first one was the installation of, a, of an external pump module for the space station's uh, thermal control unit. And thermal control is really essential for a space station in controlling, uh, say, the temperature inside 
the Tianhe One cabins. But maybe more importantly, it's because that in the vacuum of space, temperature differences between the areas that are exposed to the sun and areas that are shadowed are really massive. You can go beyond 150 degrees Celsius in the exposed areas and below minus 100 degrees in the areas that are um, shadowed. So really, if you're planning to make a space station last over 15 years, which is uh, the design point of the Chinese space station, well, you need a thermal control system that sort of smooths out these uh, big temperature gaps that you have between uh, various areas. And this module was apparently installed by Taikonauts in a rather straightforward manner in four steps. And this was because, well, the pump module was very compact and contained everything inside the hydraulics and the electronics, you know, just all in one package. Another, uh, the other task for this uh, second EVA was to raise the panoramic camera, which may sound familiar because this was a task that was performed also in the first EVA that took place uh, several weeks ago. Um, but the difference here is that this will be raising the panoramic camera uh, D this time. Previously, it had been raising another camera, which was the panoramic camera A, so two different cameras. Um, Last thought here, more on a more general point here um, on the Shenzhou 12 mission. The Shenzhou 12 mission was planned to last three months and the Taikonauts arrived uh, on board the Chinese space station in June. So we're really approaching the end of uh, the Shenzhou 12 crew uh, mission. And one of the last interesting operations that will be done before the departure of the Taikonauts is that the Shenzhou spacecraft, um, which is currently docked actually to the multi-docking node of the Chinese space station, will undock and then redock, but this time using one of the radial ports of the multi-docking node. And this is technology verification process because previously in all Chinese experimental space stations like Tiangong 1 and Tiangong 2, uh, nobly Tiangong 2, the docking was done actually. And this makes sense because from an orbital mechanics point of view, it's much more simple to dock actually. But because the space station, the Tianhe core module is, is getting to be quite big, well, there are uh, many, many docking ports. And so some of them have to be radial. And so this is really testing that radial docking can be done autonomously. Um, and after that is done, we're reaching mid-September. The crew of the mission will then depart on, both the, on board the Shenzhou spacecraft. They will perform a re-entry into the atmosphere, and they will land in the Dongfeng landing site, which is in the Sizawan banner of Inner Mongolia. Pretty incredible, the, uh, the temperature variation of negative 100 to plus 150 Celsius. So indeed, for any listeners that are planning their own space stations, something to keep in mind. That being said, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup, this for the week of the 16th to 22nd of August, 2021. And just a couple of small points, a reminder uh, that for a bunch more insights, including, let's say, 10-ish news stories for this week, uh, do check out the Dongfang Hour China Space Newsletter at newsletter.dongfanghour.com. And if you've enjoyed this video and you want to support us, we're also setting up an online uh, donation box in the coming weeks. So do check that out and make a contribution if you would wish to. This really helps with the content of this channel. And if you're a company, we also do some consulting work. So uh, do get in touch with us at um, contact at dongfanghour.com if you're interested in that. And apart from that, I'm Jean Deville from the Dongfang Hour. Thank you very much for watching and we will see you in the next episode. See you soon.